With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. I was waking up in the morning and just blurting out four letter words. Like I just did not want to go to work anymore. And I was getting to watch NFL football all day. Like I was wearing jeans and a sweatshirt to work. So if you ask like 18 year old John, like what his like dream job was like 25 year old John had it. My boss had brought me in HR. And as soon as he said, hey, come with me, like I was like, I'm about to get fired. It was like one of those experiences where time slows down and you know you're, you're, you're living in something that's going to make a huge impact in your life. He had compiled all this stuff like that he was like building a case against me. And frankly, if he had spent half that time like helping me rather than like trying to get me fired, I mean, we probably could have, you know, made good stuff happen. But part of it was just like, this is good. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. My name is John Quirk. Uh, I'm the founder of a company called SoCal Wellness Retreats based in San Diego, California. We run wellness retreats for any and everybody who wants to feel better in their bodies. Before you were doing all the wellness stuff and before you were feeling good in your own body, you weren't. And so can you tell me about graduating St. John's University 2008 in journalism, what you were expecting the world of journalism to be? I wanted to get into sports journalism and then I kind of was just open to whatever opportunities. I mean, especially in New York, it's so hyper competitive, right? So I had less, I think, in the way of expectations. I had more on the way of like, I remember when I was a kid playing sports, it was like, if they needed a goalie, I would play goalie. If they needed defense, I would like, so I was just willing to play wherever, you know, ended up landing at a place called MSG Varsity, which was owned by Cablevision and got to work in high school, which was really fun. Um, And then slowly but surely kind of made my way towards college and pro sports eventually. What was like the culture of the, the the places you were working? Did you feel like you had a chance to relax or was it just like, go, go, go all the time? <laughs> yeah, relax wasn't really a word that was in my vocabulary much back then. Um, you know, even though you're on teams and you work for, you know, organizations, you do always have that feeling, right? Like who's going to get the front page of the newspaper? Or who's going to get the first article on the website? Or who's going to get the A block on the news that night, right? So there is just this undertone of, you know, you're working together in teams to produce things, but you're also you know, constantly trying to climb the ladder and get yourself seen. So, you know, for me, I wouldn't say it was like toxic. I actually value a lot of what that taught me, right? About how to work hard and to really stand up for myself and to really be proud of the work that I did. Um, It's a bit political and I didn't want to play the game. I just wanted to do, you know, my best work and I really wanted to enjoy what I was doing.
What's an example of like those office politics that you didn't want to play? I don't think I did enough to really position myself to be indisposable. You know, I didn't kind of play that side of it of like, who do I know? How do I sort of, you know, make sure that if, you know, the ax falls, I just wasn't thinking about that stuff. So when that happened, like half of our team got to stay and half of our team didn't. And I was on the side that did it. Can you tell me about that, that conversation? Like when we got laid off yeah like tell me about the the process of understanding what was happening it's interesting i haven't thought about this in so long but when we were going public like when it was owned by just the ceo right like this network was his brainchild so this company this network in this company that i was working for was like his thing and he wanted it to be for high school kids to get espn quality coverage right like and then again when the company goes public and now they're shareholders Right now, there's a lot of people who get a say in terms of how money is being spent and resources are being allocated, etc. So I think when that happened, there was like some people that started to connect the dots. Right. So what's going to happen to us? So it wasn't very personal. It was just very much like if you're in door A, you're good. If you're in door B, you're not working here anymore. You know, it, it, yeah, it just, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling to be told that you're not part of the club anymore. You know, you're not part of the gang anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's also though afforded me like opportunities both times to step back and sort of reprioritize my own energy and reprioritize like what I wanted to do with my life. And I didn't quite get it right on that one, but I at least kind of saw in stepping back that I wanted to do some things differently. What were you focusing on doing next? I was then going back into the job market with an eye on like, okay, where do I have a long-term play, right? Like, where am I going to go in and also see an avenue of growth and expansion? But even when I stepped back into corporate life, like I started working in Al Jazeera after that. So I was supposed to go work on this sports television show. And so I got hired. There was amazingly smart people. We had awesome concepts. We were really like on our way to something cool. And then the CEO changed. It was basically like, we're not doing sports at this network at all. Like, so this show is now in the garbage can. So at least that time I was positioned well enough that I got to stay and do web news. And so I wasn't even working at TV. I was basically having to watch the news all day and then put snippets of it on the internet. It was very like mundane work and it was boring work. And I was watching a lot of bad things like, you know, wars and plane crashes and viruses and all these things. So I was like, okay, this doesn't feel good. So then I worked my channels and my networks and I did find a company that I was able to go to to get back into sports, but I had to take a pay cut and I had to sort of swallow a little bit of pride and start at a lower level. But I at least was like, I just want to get back to doing what I love. You know what I mean? And so that seemed like a good idea. (laughs) And then I realized very quickly that I didn't have allies and I didn't have assets and I didn't have, again, that political side. And I immediately was not in alignment with my boss. He just never liked me, never really coached me, educated me. And they were a startup. I mean, they were under the gun. I don't don't hold any grudges with him or anything like that, but it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. (laughs) 
after about six to eight months, like I couldn't fit in anywhere. Like I didn't feel like anybody liked me there. I didn't feel like anything was working. I was really like, I was waking up in the morning and just blurting out four letter words. Like I just did not want to go to work anymore. And I was getting to watch NFL football all day. Like I was wearing jeans and a sweatshirt to work. So if you ask like 18 year old John, like what his like dream job was like 25 year old John had it. Like I was on my way to it. You know what I mean? But something was so off and something was so miserable about my existence. It was like, okay, how many times am I going to switch networks or try this or try that? And it felt so tethered to other people, right? Like my success was so codependent on other people in the right situation. And so after stepping back that last time, that job I got fired from and I just... Yeah, how did that happen? That was on a Thursday. And that one's a little more clear because it was like one of those experiences where time slows down and you know you're living in something that's going to make a huge impact in your life. My boss had brought me in HR. And as soon as he said, hey, come with me, like I was like, I'm about to get fired. Like that, this is exactly what's happening right now. So he had compiled all this stuff like that he was like building a case against me. And frankly, if he had spent half that time helping me rather than like try to get me fired, we probably could have made good stuff happen. I remember looking at the HR lady and something like inside of me wanted to bubble up and get angry and start cursing and get mad and because you have that moment of like defeat and like you want to stand up for yourself. And then part of me was just like, this is good. Like I actually think this is exactly what's meant to happen. I just was like so relieved. And I remember walking out of the office and I call my dad and he's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I think I'm good. I'm going to go take a yoga class. It's like 12 o'clock on a Thursday. And I can't imagine when I'd ever be able to take a yoga class on a 12 o'clock on a Thursday, but like, that's what I'm going to go do. And I walked into that class and it was like perfect. The teacher was just saying all the right things about like, you know, opportunity always being there for us. And one door closes, another door opens. Like I felt like that class was for me, you know, and I'm laying on my back and I'm sweaty, but I'm crying and I'm just like... I'm going to go be a yoga teacher. Why did that feel like a calling? Sometimes we have to just sort of peel back the onion of joy, right? Like we have a lot of things in our lives that make us feel good, right? Like you eat a cookie and you feel good. You have a nice interaction or a dinner with a friend and you feel good. But there's only a few things that really makes us feel joyous, like really makes us feel pure happiness, pure joy, where we're like in flow and like we really feel like time stands still. And that was what I got to. I, I loved hockey, but I didn't really see any like path to do anything with that. But I knew I like felt alive and I felt good in a yoga class. So I said, I could do that. Like I could literally teach people yoga. Like that felt very clear to me. And so it wasn't even like two weeks later, I was in a teacher training. We'll be right back after this break. Nick, where are we right now? We're in the Sand Canyon portion of the Los Angeles National Forest. What are we doing here, Nick? Today, we're helping a community service activist group clean up a hiking path and a camping ground. I've been training in environmental advocacy, and I started the Nature for All Leadership Academy in October of 2021. This is Melissa Diaz. She helped organize the campsite cleanup and nature hike as part of her work with the Nature for All Coalition. I think bringing awareness is imperative. It's, you know, 
nurtures our communities on mental, emotional, and physical health. And we wouldn't have this vandalism here today if the previous generation had the opportunity for outdoor education. So since it's spring, Nick, I guess you could consider what we did like spring cleaning for the earth. Yeah. So would you say that springtime represents kind of birth and new beginnings? Absolutely. You know what else represents birth and new beginnings? Finding founders. We talk about the birth and new beginnings of different founders and different companies and how they took their ideas into the great companies that they are today. Sounds cool, Matt. I think I'll give it a listen. Nick, you're a producer. You have to listen to it. (laughs) Experience fresh new beginnings this spring with Finding Founders. And be sure to rate the podcast five stars. To learn more about the Nature for All Coalition, visit lanatureforall.org. Now, back to the podcast. So you decide to actually like go on this journey. How do you find yourself in like Bali and and Costa Rica for the first time? I start teaching yoga in New York. So I graduate the teacher training. I decided to take a trip to Costa Rica. You know, I start mentioning this in my yoga classes. I start telling some friends like, hey, I'm going to Costa Rica, et cetera, et cetera. And people started coming up to me and asking me, like, where are you going? What are you doing? And then like a group of people sort of were like, well, we were going to go to Costa Rica. We'd love to do some yoga while we're down there. Let us pay for your flight and we'll like teach, you know, we'll have you teach us a yoga class every day. And I was like, wow. Okay. You know, that sounds like a good deal. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that sounds pretty awesome. And then little by little, it was six people, eight people, 10 people. And it ended up 14 people ended up coming. Bali was an interesting one. Like Bali was one of those things where I did not know where Bali was on a map. Like I just kept getting these signs. Like I was on the subway and this lady had a backpack with a huge Bali patch on it. And then I came home and there was like a National Geographic or like Discovery Channel, like, you know, episode all about Bali. And then all of a sudden I was like, and so it wasn't algorithms. It was like actual things that I was seeing in the world. I've been there six times now. And so that's become like kind of a second home for me and just such a beautiful place and beautiful people. The third or fourth time I was in Bali was actually where I had the experience of really dreading coming back to New York. I sat for meditation and I just was like, okay, if I was getting on a plane and I'm going to go back to the United States because I got dogs and things like that. But if I'm going to go anywhere in the United States and I'm going to live there, right, where am I going to go? And it was like, so apparent and instant. It was like San Diego, like you're supposed to be in San Diego. So I opened my eyes, came home a couple weeks later, packed up the car, packed up all my stuff. And I had never, I had never been to San Diego. I didn't know anybody in San Diego. I didn't do any market research or any of that kind of stuff. I just was like, I'm going San Diego. So that's it. That was it. That was it. What was it like when you were there? It's been such a wild ride. You know, I got here again. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any established relationships with clients because I had, I wasn't working in any studios. I didn't have any private clients. So I started there. Like I started with like, okay, well, I should get back into teaching yoga. I should get back into doing some private client work. But, you know, it was kind of the same thing as New York where you just had to teach a lot, you know, and everything is driving here and gas is expensive. So I just was like, I don't know if this is really going to work. 
And so I really wanted to get back into doing retreats. And I said to myself, well, it's beautiful here. It's a destination location. Like maybe now you don't need to go to Costa Rica. You don't need to go to Bali. Like what's bring yeah, people to San Diego? Yeah, maybe you do the wellness retreat right there in San Diego. Yeah. Exactly. I And I would do crazy amounts of work. Like I would go up. I would be cleaning, I would be making beds. I would do all the cooking for the retreat. Like I would be cooking meals for eight to 14 people and then also doing yoga, meditation, breath work, taking them hiking. Like I would literally come home from those retreats and just be like exhausted, you know? Fox, and I would make yeah. very little money because we, you know, the place wasn't that nice so I couldn't charge that much money, but I learned a heck of a lot. And I started running a retreat once every few months and all of a sudden I was like okay at least there's enough interest like at least there's enough people and then I figured out how to get the word out built a better website and all that kind of stuff I learned a lot from those experiences and I learned how to really you know get into the right mindset of how I want to feel in a partnership and ask the right questions and make sure if I'm gonna you know link myself to somebody or a property that it's really like done the right way and it's with integrity and they have good intentions so like I say this all the time to people, I'm like, I don't think there's mistakes in life. Like I just think there's opportunities to learn. You know what I mean? And so that's how I really looked at those things. You know, then we sort of leveled up a property, uh, leveled up with a property closer to home that had a little bit more space, had a little bit more aesthetic value. And so that's where we've been operating for the last year or so. And what has been the, the reception from the people that have actually come? Like, do you have any stories maybe saying like, how it's changed the, how they think about their life or, or their life in general. So when I decided like I wanted to do this, do this, um, I can remember sitting down to like write the copy for my website. And a lot of people would talk about life-changing or transformational retreats. And I was like so tempted to write that like on our retreats. And I said, is that what we are though? Like, are we that, you know? And then within the last couple of years, I don't have to write that. It's like what people have said, you know, and we've shot these amazing testimonials with people and we've had feedback that's just been, yeah, I mean, literally this changed my life, right? So we had a guy come on retreat. He had been hit by a car. Um, he had lost the feeling in his legs. Second day of the retreat, he's doing yoga and he's like crying tears. And I walked over and I gave him a big hug and I'm like, you know, are you okay? What's happening? He's like, I can feel my legs again you know, and I've had, <laughs> I had a guy come on retreat. He was a finance manager in New Jersey. Two weeks after the retreat, he calls me. He's like, Hey, uh, I just quit my finance job. I sold all my stuff. He's like, I'm getting in a Toyota Camry and I'm going to drive to San Diego and I'm going to be living in San Diego. Like I'm, I'm literally following exactly what you did. And so he actually <laughs> lived with me for two months. Like he was on my retreat and then lived with me. We're close friends now. People talk about building community, but like, I don't know, not to brag, but have you ever had somebody live with you that was on one of your events? You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty intimate, <laughs> you know, sort of community. Yeah, we've got a lot of them, man. We've got a lot of really, really cool stories. So I want to talk about how you've even upgraded these retreats further with uh, some recent developments. So can you tell me about the new property that you're gonna be working with? Yeah, this is so exciting. So I just met this woman, Ann Morrow, who has now become 
a super fast friend of mine and said, listen, Anne bought this 166 acre property in Julian. And Julian is this beautiful, idyllic place of San Diego. And she has this vision and this dream to do wellness retreats. Like she wants to change the world running wellness retreats and having wellness events. And she said, who is the person to talk to? And Emily, of course, turned and said, talk to John. So I think the first time we sat down, we sat for like two hours. I will talk to her on Saturday nights at like eight o'clock. Like we're just like constantly coming up with ideas and strategies and things. And so we're now in the process of by July opening up this property with over 50 beds, indoor beds, and being able to host bigger, more beautiful events, almost as if I was doing it in my own vision, right? Like I'm getting to build the thing the way I would build it. And she's the one that's supporting it, financing and all that stuff. So that's why I say it's like, it's better than a dream come true. And now we're connecting with other facilitators. And I know, you know, kind of sharing that story of how hard it was for me early on, you know, and all the mistakes that I made and all the ways that I misstepped and didn't know how to connect with the right people in the right way. So we're offering that to people too, right? So it's not just a property rental, you pay X, we give you Y. It's like, we want to support you from, it could be all the way from concept, all the way through execution. If you had asked me two years ago, like, could what you're doing change the world? I would have been like, maybe, but I think it would have needed the right partnership and the right help. And now like stone cold, like if you asked me, I'd be like, a hundred percent. What advice do you think you would give to someone who is trying to create a retreat or an events-based business? What kind of advice would you give to someone starting out doing that? My own personal practices, getting up in the morning, doing breathwork meditation every single day. I have an ice bath outside of my house where I sit every single day and challenge myself and push myself, right? Like those disciplines and those internal practices and just getting familiar with who I am and really understanding what brings me joy. If you're doing that on a consistent basis, right, and you're checking in with who you are and what brings joy to you, that's your baseline, right? Like that's where you always need to start. And then the second step is to figure out how to help people, right? And if you can take what you love and and meld it together, mold it together with how to help people, that's step two, right? And then step three is to monetize it. But for me, if you engineer it that way, right? Like it's it's an example of how you can really stay in joy and also be able to run a business. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee Buchanan, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Thrive, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya, Tiffany Dang. Jonathan Wass and Diana Marie Candazer. 
To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.